What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. All right. So on the show today, we're going to talk about how to make offers on wholesale properties. This is something where I feel like if you're brand new and you're especially in the New York City suburbs, once you know how to do this, it's gonna, it's like uh, Dorothy clicking her heels in the Wizard of Oz, the whole world just turns into color. So this, this is a skill that you must master or else every time you do marketing, you're not gonna really know what to do because you get all these leads and you don't know what they're worth, you don't know what to pay and then you don't know how to make money. So Michael, you are the master of valuing properties. Uh, you actually, didn't you just buy the MLS recently? <laughs> you bought the entire MLS. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. We'll never sell. There's like 500 people. I know. It's like a mafia. It's like a mafia. Most of them doing nothing, of them doing nothing all day and raising our annual fees. I'm like, well, I'm just <laughs> I went in there one time. I'm thinking, why don't you just fire those 30 people who do nothing all day and then lower our annual fees? <laughs> Wouldn't that be logical, right? Wouldn't that be amazing? How do you do this, Michael? This is where so many people just get smoked. Like, Let's just do this. How do you do it in your area, right? What do you do when you get a lead? Obviously, you don't speak to the seller. You get involved later on. But how do you decide this property in Floral Park needs to be bought here in order to make money? Because that's a lot of wholesalers just have no idea how to do this. And they send bad deals out, right? Right. So first of all, I completely understand why people who are starting are terrified of this, right? Because they're obviously afraid that they're going to make an offer that's going to be too high, it's going to get accepted, and then they're going to get screwed and lose money. And really, it's very specific to New York that you're taking on that risk because in most, you know, 49 states really, you can easily get a, uh, a contingency in there. You can call it an inspection contingency. You know, Partner's approval. Right. Where if you find out that, hey, I can't find anybody to buy this if I want to wholesale it, or if I realize that I'm paying too much, I can get out of the contract. In New York, I would say almost every contract, not every contract I've ever gone into, I don't have any outs. I don't have any contingencies. I have to either assign the contract or I have to close. So I completely understand why people are concerned about that. So to make an offer really is a few steps, right? The first step is to come up with a value based on comparable sales. And there's a few steps for that because most of the time when you want to wholesale it, you need to come up with a an ARV, an after repair value. So what is this really worth to someone who's going to fix it up and you know do everything to it? There's also a possibility of well, let's just stick with that for wholesaling because if we if we if we there are other options to disposition of property. You may want to close on it and then uh, wholesale it, which means do very little work to it. Harder to do that now in this market, by the way. Or you may want to actually close on it and do all the work to it. Yeah. Um, so everything is specific. So the first thing is you have to, so when I when I when I'm looking at a property, because I, I'm not afraid to close on it, and I'm sure people are starting they don't want to close on it, but when I look at a property, the first thing I look at is what's the ARV, right? So what are similar 
that are completely all redone going forward at the after repair value. I also look at, well, what a cruddy home, assuming, assuming the house is financeable as it is, right? So I'm talking about not, not the worst case scenario. You know, we go buy these bank owned properties where they're already, uh, they're vacant and they're, they've already been, uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, where they Winterized. Winterized. Those things where you're not even sure if the, if the electricity is going to work when you turn on. You know, yeah. Or, those are not properties that you can, you can hotel. But if someone's living in there, nine times out of 10, you probably can hotel it, which means buy it, maybe clean it out, maybe minimal work to it and sell it. So I look at what a junkie home's old, like original home's looking for. And um, I'm also looking for what really the crappiest homes have been sold for in two investor stores. So I'm going to look for, um, uh, I'm going to look for short sale, which you mostly go to an investor. I'm going to look for a vacant REO, so real estate owned, bank owned property. What do they sell for investors? Sometimes you can find those ones you can. Yeah. If I find an ARV, if I find an ARV property, so a property that's completely redone, I'm going to try and look back also to see what the investor paid for. Now that can be a while back. That might be a year ago. That might be six months ago. So I'm going to look and get an idea of what investors. So I'm looking really for three things to come up with this value. This, that's the first part. We can we can probably talk for seven hours just on that. But but in addition to that, you have to have some kind of formula for what you're going to do with those numbers and and convert that into a number that you're going to offer the seller. So assuming let's let's just go with wholesale, right? So, and you come up with an ARV, right? Property next door, same 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 property, never going to be the same property, and it just sold for six hundred thousand dollars, for example. I actually, I just put a property out. I'm looking at the, at the request on another screen. Um, it was a property on the block. It got redone, maybe a little bigger. It, it just sold like four months ago for like 760000 I think my property is a little smaller. Um, I'm being very conservative now because the market shifted since, since that property sold. Um, and we can talk about all sorts of those, those things. So I, I'm thinking my property may be 600 to 655000 So once you have that value, right, you, you, you get comparable sales for value. Um, and we're talking about one to four family properties here because five or more units is a completely different system. But um, you need a formula. So the general formula that I work on in my in my area, this is just a formula, it's just a guideline, is that I want to buy it around 70% of the ARV of the repair value minus what I think the repairs are going to cost. And I want to wholesale it at 80% of that value minus what the repairs cost. Now, people in other markets may listen to that and go, that's crazy, because I heard that you always have to sell it to a rehabber for 70% of the ARV minus repairs cost. So the way it works is, is, is in my area and a lot of your areas, they're very high-priced products, right? $500,000, dollars $800,000. $800, so let's think about how that works. Now, in most of the country, things go for $150,000, dollars So the, the space you're leaving, right, so the 30% that you're leaving on a 70% formula or the 20% you're leaving on an 80% formula has to cover the the cash buyer's profit and all of this soft costs. So if you're buying in a small area in Lubbock, Texas, and things go for $200,000, the profit and all the other costs for a lot of these for a lot of these cash buyers, they want 30% room. Maybe they'll go 25%. In certain places, they'll go even less. Super hot areas, they might go 15%. But that, that works, but in, in our area where the, where the prices are, the ARVs are so much higher, twenty percent is usually a lot. It could be over one hundred thousand dollars, it could be one hundred fifty thousand dollars, it could be two hundred thousand dollars. So, in that case, I found a lot of the cash buyers that I sell to will take eighty percent minus repairs. 
Now, the the you want to say something because I literally could talk about this for straight. I could no keep going. You're 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 making this is exactly what I would be saying. Similar. So so it's it's important to understand that doesn't mean that every cash buyer is going to come in for your value. Very often, I would say almost every time I put a property out, I am going to get offers that are significantly less than than than, than what I want, and. And there are there are plenty of cash buyers that will go at seventy percent that will only buy at seventy percent, and they're going to come in around the price that I'm buying for very often. But you only need one buyer who figures out things, and they don't have to be using the same formula either. And that's this is really my important point. And, and I know you've sort of switched on the theory. I used to give out what I thought the ARV was and what the and what the repair estimate was. Yeah. And what I found is giving out those numbers in general didn't help me and could hurt me. Because I very often assumed that the repairs were X, and very often other buyers assumed that they were more, and some buyers assumed they were less. They highball the repairs. They highball you. And it's bullshit because they know, like, I'm like, no, it's not, you asshole. I, I had a property, I remember, in Locust Valley where um, I thought I could make that half perfect for 60 grand. Guy comes in and he goes, it's going to cost me 160 grand. And I'm like, okay, he, he, is, might, he, he might. You know what? He might have his first deal. He might have been an idiot. He might have used a bad contractor. Maybe he's going to make it to Taj Mahal in that area. I don't know. <sighs> but when I when I gave that, and then on that same property, another guy said, what do you think the ARB is? And at that point, I said, I think I said 700. He goes, what? I had it at like 850. So what did I just do? I, I really shot yourself in the ass. Because now he's really thinking, I'm way, I, I, this is not good, right? I, not, the numbers are all wrong. So the, 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 so what scares people, and I and I completely understand, and I, I live through this fear, is that hey, I'm gonna lowball, I'm gonna come too low on their actual repairs, and I'm gonna go too high in the ARV, and I'm gonna buy this property, I'm gonna get into contract, and everybody's gonna be wrong. The the beauty of the of the reality that we both discovered is that everybody's ARV is gonna be different than yours, and everybody's repairs is gonna be different than yours. There's no way everybody's gonna be on the money with you, and you may assume. Is let's take the example of six fifty for the thousand. There are people that might say the ARV is seven fifty for the and those same people may put their repair estimates lower than yours, and they'll pay more. So the fear is that you're always going to get this wrong. The the truth is, if you have a decent enough buyers list, and I know you and I both do, there's somebody out there. If, in, what we've learned from putting offers in is that if we buy it the way we want to, we're probably going to find a buyer to take it. And the worst case scenario, if we if we can't find a buyer, is we'll close on it because we know that we play the footage we can make money on. Yeah, no, that's huge. And this is where I was telling somebody yesterday and they, they weren't like getting it. I was like, listen, I'm going to tell you how to do this right now, but you need to just do this. Like I, I can explain this to you and I can show you, I've done probably 5,000 deal analyzation sessions. So I, I, for me, it's like, it's not really fair for me to even explain it to you because it's not, it's going to be like me speaking Tagalog, Tagalog, what is it, Tagalog? Right. Yeah, and it's like, not you're not going to, yeah. Not an exact science. That's the- yeah, it's not. I can't just give you a framework because it's like, I can go look at a property anywhere in like lower Hudson Valley and even in your area and be like, oh, this is the number. This is where I need to buy it at. I, because we've done so many deals, we know the cost basis. I know the construction. I know... So I can just be like, oh, at this number, we're going to make money. We're going to make 45 grand. But like for someone brand new who's never done that, who doesn't have that data, it's it's like really difficult. And that's why we always encourage, just call us and we'll do deals together for heaven's sake. It's like, this is, it's a very simple formula. 
You're going to learn more working with me and Michael than you will trying to do this I, on your own. I guarantee it. People don't understand that no one talks about it. I think it's the number one service that you and I provide. when we It is. People. More than any information we sell. Yeah. They don't know what a deal is. And you and I can look at it in five minutes. I can tell you, if we can buy it, I said, yeah. it's a deal. And if That's we buy much idea. more, it may not be a deal. And for a lot of people, that is tremendously comforting. Right? <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and I and throw the deposit down. And, and Uncle Helbeck puts the deposit down. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah, go ahead. It's a no-lose deal. So so what I was trying to say was, if you really were to do this and you're brand new and you don't want to work with Mike and I, which is fine, obviously we're no pressure salesmen, you have to look at the property. And I look at it two ways, like you said. What is this ARV? And the thing with ARV that we talked about on our innovation show is like, at the end of the day, there's only like maybe 10% of all the inventory is ARV inventory because it's from a flipper. I think less. Yeah, right? Maybe 5%. So really at the end of the day, yeah, you can come up with your ARV, which all the gurus teach, which by the way, that's kind of horseshit because it's like maybe one out of 15 is nice. The real number I like to look at is what are similar houses to this house? Capes, bi-levels, colonials, whatever, ranchers. What are they selling collectively? Like, like, general, like I was looking at a deal in Connecticut yesterday that we're going to be buying in the Fairfield County. So it's super, it's just like Long Island. It's a very expensive area. And, you know, I couldn't really pinpoint the value of this thing. And I, it was like kind of bothering me. So I was like up late last night, like on the MLS and I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, what the hell? And I found a freaking model match comp. It was uh, not ARV, but it was same house, same style. I'm like, oh, this is a 520 ARV all day long, as you would say, easy peasy, Japanesey. And I'm like, I got it now. And then I texted Brett at like two in the morning Eastern. I'm like, hey, all right, we got, we got it. We're good. We're good. Let's buy this thing. So you have to look at, what are those similar houses selling for? And how does that compare to your property? Like if your property doesn't need a lot of work, like it just needs like maybe you can paint the bath. Like most houses, you know, well, I wouldn't say most houses. A lot of houses don't need that much work to look pretty nice. Like if, if unless you're really, you know, maybe one out of 10 you're buying is a complete dog. But, you know, hey, it's, it's original house. You maybe got some ugly wallpaper in there. Maybe the deck's chipping a little bit. But like, a lot of houses I look at, like I'm looking more of the as is value. And then when I see the as is value, I'm like, okay, it's probably going to be worth as is 400. If I did like a nice rehab, I could probably sell it for 430 maybe, but it's probably going to be like, cause it's really the property's not that beat up. So the rehab isn't going to add that much value to it. And then from there I'll say, okay, so if a rehabber pays and I look at it, like if I'm wholesaling the house, if a rehabber bought it off me for 300 and they put, 30 into it and it sells for 430, they're going to make out like a band. They're going to make 60 grand on that. Someone will buy that. And then I'm like, okay, let's go offer them 272. You know what I mean? So that I just kind of figure like, what would a buyer probably pay for this? That's realistic. And then what, so that would, that, that tells me what I'm thinking this is going to trade for. And then from there, I'm like, okay, we want to make 30, 40, 50 grand on an assignment or whatever we offer, you know, lower. And then listen, if they say no to the wholesale offer, I can just buy it myself for 300 or 315. And it's like, it doesn't matter to me. Like, I don't care. So like where it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's easy for me to explain now. But like when I was starting, I was like, oh my God, like I was so scared. I mean, I remember I was doing a lot of stuff in like Westchester and it was so expensive. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know what to do. This is like 600 grand for a house. It's crazy. Oh, right. so another thing, another thing that I think is, and scares people that are coming from other states. In a lot of states, it's really based on a cost per square foot. Right? Because in most states, in most states, Florida, it's like the same shit. Yeah, every single listing gets a number of square feet on, right? Square footage, 
at least what it's what the county thinks it is. Yeah. So people yep. go and they go, well, you know, I'll pay four hundred dollars square foot, and you're, you this can't use this comp because it's two hundred square feet less than all that stuff. In New York, square footage is not required on the listing, so I never did that. I've I've had people call me. I had people call me once on a deal and go, well, what's the square footage? I, go, I don't know. They go, well, then how do you figure it out? They go, let me take a wild stab at it. You came from another state, right? She goes, yeah. How'd you know? I go because that's how it works in a lot of places. Doesn't work that way here. So I do what you just described. I didn't get into it in more detail, but I should. So I look at what similar style homes, right? There's mm-hmm. only like six styles in the whole Long Island, right? There's ranch, there's yeah, a high ranch, mostly capes. There's a cape, there's a colonial, and then there's like, you know, a couple of weird things in between. But that's covered. Temporary. You know? There's a lot of contemporaries, like out probably in Suffolk, you know. I, yeah. make new I hate new. those houses, but, uh, by the way. I hate contemporaries. No, no cars. Yeah. So. So I try to find the same style, and then I try to find the same bedrooms and bathrooms. That's what I try to do. Um, and you can't always find the same bedrooms and bathrooms, but similar, you know, half a bathroom is going to make that much of a difference. Somebody has a one bathroom, I'm not going to comp to the two or more bathrooms. I'm not going to comp something, um, you know, like a two bedroom to a three bedroom. I think it's different. But once you get up to four or five bedrooms, it's probably similar. Um, so that's what I look at. And we're looking for prices that looking for properties in a very close proximity, right? So really close. I try not to cross city streets if I don't have to. And then we're looking for the same style, similar bedrooms and bathrooms. And what are they selling for? And then I looked at the condition to get an idea. So if it's junky, I'm going to, you know, figure this for, you know, it's less than what I need to do. And if it's in perfect condition, then it's a really good ARB cup. So that's yeah. what I look at. Yeah, and no, again, that's not very hard to teach that. And I've done it's hard. multiple videos yeah, it's hard. Show, sharing my screen doing it. It is not an exact science. It's not. And sometimes I'll go back. Like, I don't want to do properties that I sort of encountered right now. So I'll go back and I'll do properties that I uh, already wholesaled or I for it. Yeah. And we go back all this time and I'm like, I like I came up with a number for like all these comps that are showing up now. Those weren't there. So I have to yeah. go back in time. So yeah, it's funny. I, you know what I realized too, like, and this is not as relevant in Long Island, but like sometimes we'll get leads and they're, they're somewhat remote because obviously like once you get off the Island, like, you know, you can go up the entire state. Right. And it's just there's woods everywhere. So we'll get rural leads and you know, it can be difficult to, to run comps because it's not like you're, you're, you're really like, you're kind of up the Creek. Like, okay. Like this house is a ranch and it's, it's on two acres, but like, you're not like in a subdivision where there's, you know, it's like, so I've noticed that if you're doing business in like the Hudson Valley and you're not directly in a neighborhood and you're more in a rural area, it's, it is, a that is even more difficult because then you're, you got to obviously expand your radius. You can't go half mile out. You got to go two miles out. You got to look at school districts. You got to, here's another thing too. And this is really relevant to when we're recording this, which is uh, what is it? October of 2022. Obviously, unless you're living under a rock, the market has shifted. And obviously we've, we've known this is, was going to happen. We just didn't know when it would happen. And obviously the interest rates were what caused it to shift mostly. So I have noticed, and I was talking to somebody yesterday on the phone about this. The biggest thing I think that will actually cause the market to, to like change is not the prices just getting slaughtered. I don't see that happening that bad in our area. Like I see the prices maybe staggering, maybe going down a little, a little bit. The biggest thing that's going to really happen, in my opinion, is that the days on market is going to become normal. And when you put a flip on the market, if you don't have an offer in three weeks, that's going to be like a normal thing. Hope like the date. And I was my buddy who, you know, was texting me last night and he's like, dude, I don't have any offers. Like I only have four showings. I normally have 20. 
I'm like, yo, this is just a normal market. Like, you know, this is just, this is, this is how it was in 2017, <laughs> 2018. That's exactly how it was. Uh, and, and you're not going to see like this, like, oh, there's 30 showings on Saturday. There's 20 showings on Sunday. And then Sunday night, we're going to have 55 offers and the days on market will be 30 days, right? You're going to see days on market, 60, 90. That's what I'm thinking is going to happen. I just listed something and my dispo manager was telling me, um, it's, it's just a listing, right? And um, I thought it was, I thought it was like a 600 house in current condition. And we got a 585 offer and my dispo manager was like, I, I don't believe, I can't believe she won't take it. It's our only offer. I'm like, who the seller didn't take it? We had a 615 offer like over the weekend. So like, so you got to wait, right? Sometimes you got to wait. It's not easy to wait, especially when you're spoiled, where, as you said, you know, you get 50 offers, you can get 15 offers the first day you have it out there. Things are different and things are getting back to normal. And prices are probably going down a little, maybe for a while. They might be going down a little for a while. We don't know. But that was one of the things that you really have to, patience is not easy. When you have a lot of money in a deal, you put the deal and there's all your cash sitting in there. No, put it out not. there. Three people come and tell you that it's overpriced or that it's, it's shitty. It's tough. It, it's a punch in the in the gut. Right? It's actually a punch really looking lower into the ball. I remember that feeling like, oh, did I screw this up? What did I do wrong? I knew I should have done that extra bedroom. I knew I should, you know, you start second guessing yourself. But you need, I say, I remember what I had. I think, I think you need a good four to six weeks of having yes. something on market. So you really know what's going on. And yep. uh, it's really easy to, to panic. And it's really easy to start dropping prices. But I think you know, you check the market, look what's out there, and you gotta you gotta give it more time. Um, and with wholesaling, you know, also I would say you gotta find that one buyer who wants it, right? And you gotta build, you know. I, one thing I've struggled with, it's not really on topic, but it but it, 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 it's ancillary, is that you know. The question of what is it better to have a tiny buyers list of say thirty guys who are great and you know them and everybody does what they say they're going to do and you know they'll all buy, or is it better to have like a you know two thousand or three thousand buyers list where most of them are junk, but you have more people and I, I think I'm leaning towards a bigger list because every buyer has their own their own experiences and their own wants. Like they want a property in this area and that is what they want. You could send them a hundred properties in another area and they will basically tell you to drop dead. But when you get a property in their city, they are going to be more aggressive than any other person. So I think it's it's an interesting, it's an interesting conundrum, right? Because you also have to manage the buyers, right? I just sent the property out. I have eight people with it. Some of these emails. Some of these are the stupidest emails ever. They're asking me questions that I already that they, they just read the email that I sent to the first time. I was there. They're so lazy, these buyers. They're such lazy jerkies, as you would say. Right. Get that. So you almost say, well, you want to deal with all these people every time. But, but the truth is, I think having a bigger buyer's list is, is advantageous because every buyer's got their own thing. And also, every buyer's got different times, right? They may have just sold a flip for a lot of money and they are looking for something. They are itching. I, somebody yeah. told me today, like, I am finishing construction in a week and a half. The guy gave me a deal on the work because I told him I'd keep busy. I have nothing for him in a week and a half. Is there any way we can work something out on the deal? Like, okay, so that's a, that's a specific thing to him. Like, nobody else. You have that issue, right? He may yeah. pay more for something because of that. So it's an interesting thought. But when you put it out there, you have a decent list, um, and you price it right. Um, It'll sell. You know, you it will sell. It will sell. 
if you have a big enough buyers list, like you said, that's the thing I've realized. And I've been, I still sit in this, sit in the dispo seat in my business, uh, and at least for wholesales. But uh, yeah, you just need one buyer. And I've, I just wholesale the house in Houston, actually. Like we found a buyer and we signed a contract. So it's in title or contract with escrow, whatever you want to call it. It's in limbo. I just find the buyer. I, I, I went on, this is here. This is where people don't like. This is such a common sense thing. And I'm not saying I'm a genius. I'm just saying like, this is very common sense. I, I will say you're a genius. I, I, I appreciate the comment and it's, it means a lot coming from you, but I think there's definitely some smarter people out there than me. I mean, for God's sakes, I got an orange t-shirt on, right? I'm an idiot. Anyway, uh, so I went on Facebook and I typed in Houston off market real estate investing group, enter. And I find a group with 4,000 people. I join the group. I get approved. <laughs> I type the ad. I didn't type the ad. I typed in, I have a townhouse in this zip code. If you want to buy it, let me know. Email me, DM, dude, 15 people, lockbox, easy peasy, Japanesey, as you would say, for the second time and got it sold at my price. Right. And I have another guy back up more than that. But they, this other guy, like, I don't know him from Adam. The other guy's like a legitimate company. But like, you just, you need to have a deal. Right, you need it's traffic and conversion. Traffic is the Facebook post. Traffic is the email. Go on to Long Island off market. Like we, there's a face. We're in the same face. Off market Long Island prop. Whatever. Just type it in. Like you know, it's not like people will see that, right? And if you actually have a deal that makes sense, somebody will buy it. It might just not take a day. It might take like we just. So we just we've been selling some of our wholesale stuff. And listen, it's it takes like four or five days to sell a wholesale deal now. And that's the truth, right? I had one, we had to have three showings. Another one, we had to keep dropping the price. I mean, that's just, it is what it is. But if people are buying them. People are buying these properties. Maybe one out of right. 10, we can't find a buyer, but like, it's still not a problem. If you're buying it right. You're gonna find, that's the thing that people also, when they start, they're terrified of, right? What if I get this deal and I did everything right and no one wants to buy it? And the truth is, it just doesn't happen, right? We're in an amazing time in history, amazing, right? For me, I, listen, I know I, I know what pre-internet is, right? Nineteen seven was not, you know, I was uh, a twenty-six. There was no internet then, right? And if you had a if you had a property that was priced right, no one was gonna know about it unless they read your classified ad in the New York in the paper or or saw a sign, right? And then you may have the greatest deal ever and no one will know. But today, via the internet, Real estate has really become more of a commodity, and, and everything has a price. Everything, right? And that's another thing people don't think about. They think, well, if it is really bad, or if it's in a bad neighborhood, or fill in the blank, no mm -hmm. one's going to want it. There's always somebody who wants it if the price is right. I mean, certainly, you know, in our, I mean, I once had a deal in Cincinnati where the guy wanted to sell to me for three thousand dollars, and it wasn't worth three thousand dollars. But rare. In the hood? Was it in the hood? It was in an area with a with a with a after repair value was forty grand, and it was like forty grand in repair. So I had that happen on a PPC lead in Illinois. And I said, Brett, for now on, shoot all these leads in the head. Just snipe them out. They're not worth it. Right. Yeah. But in, 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 in New York City suburbs, that's never happened. That doesn't happen. No. I can sell, I, there's places where I can sell land, you know, for $150,000. Places I can sell land for $500,000. So everything has a value. If you think of real estate as a commodity, you'll understand it now. But again, the purpose of this video, this, this, this podcast is to, help you have a better understanding of where you should offer. But the, but the fear that a lot of people have when they start is that, well, even if I buy it right, no, maybe, maybe nobody wants it. And the answer is, if you buy it right, somebody will always want it. Always. I'll buy it. You'll buy it. 
If so, host, dude, listen, if I could stop marketing yet tomorrow and never have to send another postcard or run another Google campaign again, and I can have deals come to me on a silver platter and hit the numbers I want to hit, listen, I would be the first person to say, hallelujah. Thank you. See you later, sellers. Never again. But that doesn't happen. I can't control that. If a wholesaler brought me deals and I, I would just be like the happiest person ever. I just, every day I check my email, I make an offer. The wholesaler sells it to me. He gets his 30 grand. I make my 60 grand. We do four of those a month. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing ever? We'd be retired. I mean, we'd basically be in Jamaica half the time, you know, just getting, but that's just not reality, right? Like, listen, you can buy deals from wholesalers for sure, but you know, you have to, I would definitely say too, like you said, like there is always going to be a buyer for a deal. It has to be a deal. Like if I wholesalers send me stuff all the time and I just think that their numbers don't make sense. I'm like, listen, you're trying to sell me a property. By the way, you probably don't even have it under contract because you're being weird about how you're communicating with me. That's the first thing I say to them. They're like, ooh, this guy, Greg's kind of a dick. And I'm like, this is, this is the number I need to be at. And this is why. And I'm not lowballing you. I hope you get this thing for 100 grand below it. But like your, your, your number, you're trying to sell me a property for basically the market value. I can go on the end. This is my thing I say to them. And this is where they get it. I say at your price that you're telling me you want to sell it to me for, I can go on the MLS and buy something cheaper. And then I don't usually say this because they'd really probably throw a pitchfork at me. They'd find me. I say, the truth is, this is what goes in my brain. You're too busy trying to build your buyer's list, mentally masturbating on foreclosure properties that you're afraid to go out and actually get rejected by the real sellers who will eventually sell you a real deal that you can sell to me and make some real money. If people just took what I just said and, and processed that, that is usually the truth. Is there, do, can you not agree with that? It's like, it's like human nature. Absolutely. People don't want to get rejected. I'm looking at people I have to call back. Two guys are saying, uh, would you like to buy a product? Like, I know these guys are brand new. So when I call them, I go, listen. I'm going to say, well, I'm kind of a dick. I'm going to give you five minutes of my yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to like one yeah. word I'm going to say. So number one, don't build your buyer's list until you have a deal. I go, all you're doing, as Greg Helbig says, is mental masturbation. It feels good, but it's not what you really you should want be doing to do. something else. Right. So, and I tell them, and I explain why. I go, reverse wholesaling sounds good. It doesn't really work in New York. And the truth is, you're, you're not going to know if, you, if they're a real buyer if you're not giving them a real deal and seeing how they react. So first get the deals. And, and I said, and I know that. And I go, that's the hard part. I go, it's real easy to call people. Look at Google ad. Look at Google. People. They click my ad. And this one guy, I said, if you fucking click my ad again, I'm going to really get pissed. Stop. It's the same guy twice. I said, if you fucking call my ad again, I am going. Because he's clicking on the website. And I'm like spending real money now. I'm spending like 150, 200 bucks a day. I'm like, dude, fuck off. You know, I was, I went nuts on this guy. <laughs> I went nuts on, I'm like, you fucking, oh, don't even get me started with that. Don't even get me started, dude. I went bananas the other day. Continue. Right. So the, I, I don't go bananas on them. Yeah. I don't really check if they click. And I'm like, this is through text though. It was through text. So it wasn't as, yeah, anyway. Like the hard part is yeah. talking to sellers. Yeah. Everybody wants the easy part, talking yes. to buyers. Calling people up who you don't even know if they're the buyers, and you say, "Hey, if I can make you money, should I call you back?" And ninety-nine, sure, why not? You don't even know if they're ever going to buy a property. I said, but the hard part is talking yeah. to sellers. I said, so spend your time yeah. talking to sellers. One hundred percent. That's where, and that's where you're going to actually be able to make real money, right? And I, I listen. There is people that we know, and I, I don't know this business model that well, but I do know that there are people not in New York. So if you're listening and you're in New York. This does not apply. Don't even try it. 
that are in Phoenix, Dallas, Vegas, Florida, like, you know, the typical areas, Tampa Bay, and their whole business is basically dispositions. Like they're like, their whole pitch is like, don't market to sellers, just find buyers. And I bet you that works a lot better in those areas. But if you're listening to this podcast and you are in Long Island or the Hudson Valley or anywhere in New York, that does not work. Okay. And we're not trying to like, this is, we're just telling you guys the truth, the, the guys and girls listening, this is the truth. That does not work. Spend your time on sellers. If you want to get really good, and then we'll start to wrap the show up here. So if you want to get really good at analyzing properties to make good wholesale offers, which is the name of the show or the title today, you need to look at a lot of properties. If like, here's something that you can do for free that, that will cost you no money. It'll take you some time, but that will be a good investment of time because you'll build a skill. Go on Redfin and go to one zip code that's hot, like in my area, 12553. Take all of the properties that are um, that are uh, like active for sale or whatever, what, whatever you want to do. And then basically go in there and, and f- just have the address. Don't look at the sales price, obviously, or don't look at what it sold for. Just try to like get the address, like download it. And then do your best guess to see what that ended up selling for. And then obviously it's like, you know what I mean? It's almost like a math problem where you practice math and then you look uncovered and you see what it sold for. That's better than, yeah. That's the hard part. I tell people, I tell people in my area, I go, why don't you go to the auction? Right. And go there and look at the stuff that actually goes on auction, write down what the people bought them at and then follow them and see what they sold them at and see what they do with it. You can do it. It takes time. And the problem is it's follow because property may not trade again for nine months, right? So that's the problem. And you got to follow up with the advice. But you put an alert in or something like that. I tell people to do that. But it takes time. I said also go to every open house in your area where you live. Go to every single open house. Write down what they're asking. Pay attention to what it sells for. And you'll get an idea of what's going on. 100%. 100%. If you just, and you got to, in order to get good at deal making, you got to look at a lot of deals, right? You got to, yeah, and you're going to, you're going to make mistakes. Absolutely. When I started, I only did one city. It was really easy. I did Elmont. Elmont. That was the only thing I did. I used to go to open houses every single weekend. I was like, hey, what, why is this? Why are they asking this? Does it make sense? What did it sell for? I knew Elmont, you know, backwards and forwards when I started. I was like, I thought I could build my own business at Elmont. I was, I was stabbed and saying but eventually I added more cities. But the point is like, that's how you learn. You learn by putting in the time. Question about Elmont. Is there, if you really like, this is a side note, but if you really wanted to just be a laser in Elmont, is there enough population or is that it's not straight up, not big enough? No. First of all, it's not, it's not big enough. It's, it's, I don't know what it is. Oh, then you're not, you're done. You can't do that. Yeah, people are too small, but also, you know, we, and we, we kid ourselves, right? We think, I'm just going to focus on this area. I'm going to get all the deals. You're not going to get all the deals. Right? It's just not going to happen, right? There's going to be millions of deals in that area that go to other people who contacted sellers that you didn't or tried maybe sellers you did, and they, they resonated with that. So I tell people that start, you need at least a population like 300,000 to start uh, and figure that's an area, picking up zip codes that, make, that makes that, and then something to start so you can get a list. But um, for me, I just dreamed that I would be the king of Elmont. And uh, after realizing that there were other uh, bigger kings of Elmont, uh, I needed to expand. And I spent just a second there, I spent the Valley Street, and that was it. And then uh, slowly and surely added like another 10 cities. But for me, that made, that made going to the auctions much easier because the list that came out for the auctions and used to be held uh, weekly for 100 years was massive. And for me, like it was just like, I'm not going to drive around the whole, I don't, 
front of the time to drive around the whole Long Island for when 90% of the houses were going to get, were not even going to be up at auction. So I, I, I sort of focused in like really Southwest Nassau and I could just drive around that area. It helped me, it helped me. But, I, but if, when you want to, you know, um, build up a business, uh, you can't, you got, you got to have a decent enough population. You have to. Yeah. And it, fortunately in our area, that's, you don't need to go that far because, you know, if you take Nassau, Suffolk, and then you take Orange, Rockland, Duchess, Ulster, Westchester, Bronx. I like New York. We're, we're starting to get stuff in New York, like, like in like the Bronx. Yeah. People, right? just, just Queens, Nassau, and Suffolk is, uh, is like five and a half million people. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And then you had Kings County, which is Brooklyn. And you're, it's, another it's, two, it's another three million people. Yeah. So. Yeah. You, you, that's just the whole geographic Long Island. It's like this little thing, whatever. This looks like this. Yeah. That is crazy. Have you ever done business in Staten Island? Yeah. Is it a good market or no? Is it expensive? What, compare it to Nassau or Westchester, somewhere like I know. It's very small. I and mean, population just that is very small. There's super high end areas there. There's like there's mansions that go for many millions of dollars, and it's a it's a it's a growing it, like all parts of the New York City area. The lower priced areas have done better over the last ten years than anything else, right? Yeah. Percentage wise, so parts of Staten Island have, have gone up, but it's hard to get to. And it's, <laughs> it's like in New Jersey. It's so inconvenient to get there. It's so shitty. And it's limited because like, I spoke to guys who go like, I, I buy the five bars. I send them something to Staten They go, oh, I don't buy Staten Island. I go, then you buy the four bars, not the five bars. Like people, like, well, I would buy in Manhattan. I've never, I don't know. I don't know, I know a single person who's done a deal in Manhattan. Like besides like fucking Trump. <laughs> almost, <laughs> like, everything's a con- almost everything's a condo or a co-op or a $30 million townhouse. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's not. not. I know a guy who bought a few, he bought a few, um, co-ops during the pandemic when they really right when it got slaughtered and i think he's going to do very well with it but co-op to me is a huge pain in the ass because dealing with a co-op board is not easy and he can he may find a buyer for it and the co-op board may approve it it's not so simple yeah i've never got i don't think i've ever gotten a lead in manhattan we've gotten them in brooklyn queens but like all that he's like the that's easy westchester and the bronx is like the same shit i get leads in manhattan all the time they just most of the time they're not it's not something where the guy's really going to take a big discount. Interesting. I might test out Staten Island just, just because like, it's like, if, if I pull a list of two, th- like, you know what I mean? Add it to one of our mailing. I mean, I feel like it's like, that's an area where like, Richmond County. It. It, what is it? It's well, Richmond, Richmond County. New York city that this is just, and then we'll end the show, but if you think about how weird that is. So New York city is a, is one city, right? Biggest city in America in that one city. There's five counties. How fucking crazy is that? Manhattan County, Kings, Queens, Richmond, Bronx. Bronx. That is so weird because you think that one city, like, because if you're in White Plains, you're in Westchester. If you're in, is there, what's a city in Long Island? Like, uh, what's a city? It's not a town, like a city. Elmont's in Nassau County. Okay, so yeah. It's in the town of Hempstead. It's all nuts. So why not? Quick thing, one more thing, I promise. So I got this property with violations in Rockland. And, and uh, oh my, oh, actually, so actually, fuck that. Here's a better one. Mamaronek, we were talking about that property the other day. <laughs> this is fucking mind blowing. I call to find out the, pro- this is a, like, seems like a pretty good deal on the surface. I'm actually going to see it. Um, but I'm like, the guy doesn't know what the taxes are. And I'm thinking, I'm like, how does he know what the taxes are? This is like a multi- he's like 81 i think he thinks he's in Candyland, so i'm just gonna see him in person and i'll see if that's the case so i find out 
Yeah, yeah. So I, I call. I made a phone call. So this is hilarious. So I make a phone call. This is two days ago, and I have to call the town of Rye because it's in the town of Rye, but then it's in the village of Mamaroneck, and it's like it's in all these. So I find out just the property taxes on this four family, twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> I was like, this is that's in, to a, me that's crazy. That's I have insane. a six family. My taxes over forty thousand dollars a year in 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 Ellen. Six, 40. That's forty forty thousand dollars for that. That's this. That doesn't even make any sense. I mean, that's just insane to me. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Anyway, well, there are people living in me where their their tax on their house is like seventy thousand. Well, that's I I see that more because it's like that's more of like you know the property is huge and whatever, but like you know Frank Sanchez's taxes are. I'm not going to say it on the show, but they're a lot. Uh, his old taxes were a lot. I'm not going to throw him under the bus, but like, yeah, I mean, that's, he lives in an area where like New Rochelle, it's like, yeah, you got, you know, a normal property tax. I'm not going to say his tax, but I, if you live in a nice house in New Rochelle, expect to pay $30,000 a year in taxes minimum. You know, people, you tell that somebody in North Carolina, it's a jury of mine, right? They pay $3,000 taxes a year. That's high in North Carolina. There's a Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. I was talking to this guy out here at a mastermind a couple weeks ago, and he said that some property taxes are 800 bucks a year. (laughs) I'm like, what happens if there's a fire? Is a fire truck like a, is it a toy fire truck? Do they say like, what, what do you even get for that? Like, how do you employ people? Like in our area, like, yeah, the schools are good. And it's like, yeah, there's good infrastructure. Like, you know, but like if your property taxes are 800 bucks a year, you're probably going to get like a a toy fire truck to drive to the house with like a a garden hose probably a lot less uh corruption and waste (laughs) yeah right they got to make use of it well mike listen i'll let you run man this was a good show uh i guarantee you a lot of people got value from it and if you did get value review the show put it out on social media that's how we keep growing this thing our downloads have been going up so thank you for that listeners and we will talk to everyone in the next episode take care